Hey Rebels, welcome to another edition of Rebel Parenting. I'm your host, Ryan Dobson, with my wife, Laura. Let me read an excerpt from a blog of our guest today. His name's Dr. Kelly Flanagan. He wrote this to his daughter. Dear Cutie Pie, Recently, your mother and I were searching for an answer on Google. Halfway through entering the question, quote, how to, Google returned a list of the most popular searches in the world. Perched at the top of the list was, quote, how to keep him interested, end quote. It startled me. I scanned several of the countless articles about how to be sexy and sexual, when to bring him a beer versus a sandwich, and the ways to make him feel smart and superior. And I got angry. Ooh, can you imagine, Rebels? I've got a little girl. That would make me angry, too. Dr. Kelly Flanagan joins us today to talk about his book, Lovable. What does it mean to love and to be lovable or to be loved? And I got to tell you, this is a great one. You are going to love it. Before we get to that, join us every Monday and Friday for Facebook Live, Rebel Live on Facebook. Facebook.com slash J. Ryan Dobson. We are getting busy every Monday and Friday. There is lots going on. Lots of teaching, lots of training, lots of current events, lots of craziness. Email your topics and your questions to me. Help at rebelparenting.org. I love y'all. Let's jump into this broadcast with Dr. Kelly Flanagan on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Kelly, we appreciate you coming on the program today. And you know, we saw your blog, you wrote it to your daughter, and it, it became very huge. You go on, um, what was it, Good Morning America? Uh, the Today Show, actually. The Today Show, yes. that's right. Yeah. Can yes. you just tell that story? The blog was so good. I, I read it yeah. to Laura. She was saying, you've got to read this to Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a totally surreal experience. I was, uh, I guess it was the Sunday before we left for New York, and I was, I was in a... Um, I was in a department store trying to find a pair of pants that would work for a national television appearance. Oh, totally. And, yeah. uh, and the, the woman at the cash register said, Kelly, uh, what's not Kelly, but what's this for? And I said, uh, um, well, I'm, I'm going on TV this week. And she said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to go on the today show. I wrote this letter to my daughter and she goes, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I've met you. <laughs> and I said, and I said, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you can't believe you've met me. <laughs> no way. Yeah. yeah that it was totally like, it was one of those experiences, totally surreal. But I mean, basically what happened, I'd written one previous letter to my daughter, um, before on my blog. Um, not something that I typically did at that point. Um, mm-hmm. but I'd written one letter where I had, it had sort of come out of me. It was about, uh, my daughter's inherent interestingness and Mm. the importance of not feeling like she has to um, sort of lose herself in order to um, impress a boy or a man or keep one. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. And I'd read that to my wife and, uh, and it it kind of come out of me in response to something that I had read. And she said, I think you should put that on your blog. People need to hear that. And so I did that once. And then a second time I did it, uh, when I had visited, intentionally visited the, the makeup aisle of a local store to, I, my, my, I had a friend who had texted me and said he'd been in another makeup aisle. He just said, this is, I feel sort of, it's oppressive. I can't mm-hmm. imagine being a woman kind of bearing the weight of all the messages here. And um, so I went and, uh, and I knew exactly what he meant. And so I, I wrote a letter to her. Mm-hmm. At the time we had a ritual that we um, did every night. Uh, and the ritual, and we still do it actually, is I ask her, are you beautiful on the outside? And she says, yes. And I oh. say, where are you the, the most beautiful? And she says, on the inside. Mm. Um, and so as I stood, yeah, well, <laughs> something I want her to sort of sort of get become a, a natural thing to, 
to resonate with in her heart as she grows up. And, um, and so I was in the makeup aisle and uh, felt like I needed to communicate that message more than ever. And mm-hmm. so I wrote that letter. And uh, it was one of those things I wrote it at the right time. And the Today Show uh, sure. was doing uh, uh, a series on women's beauty and embracing who they are. And they didn't have any men <laughs> to talk about that. And so I, uh, I was sitting in my office on a normal Thursday afternoon and the Today Show called. It was pretty wild. Wow. Hmm. That is surreal. And, you know, Kelly, let's talk about this for a minute because there is, um, I think, part of our culture that says, oh, it's too much self-esteem. You know, we're telling mm-hmm. people that have health risks, you're beautiful the way you are and, and all those. That's not what you're saying. You, This letter I read to Laura this morning, the first one, you Googled, you were Googling something and it came up how to please a man. And it was about when to bring him a beer versus a sandwich and how to dress right. provocatively and all these things that you don't believe in. You were like, no, 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 no. You're interesting just by yourself. Your existence is interesting. So you're not saying, you know, don't be healthy and, you know, all those things that the snowflake mentality, you're saying God created you as an individual and a fascinating individual. And you don't need to be anything but what you are in the Lord to be interesting. Well, it's exactly, yeah, that's exactly right. And one of the common uh, pieces of pushback I got on that first article about her inherent interestingness was, yeah, but if, if someone, if, if, I mean, it was, they are often, unfortunately from angry men, but, uh, you know, if a woman thinks that she's inherently interesting, then what's her motivation to do anything for a relationship? Um, what's her, you know, what's her motivation to care and to love? And, uh, and my response was always that, once we've embraced that we're inherently interesting and once we've begun to get connected with that true self that has been created for us um, and that true self is created in love and out of love and for love, then love becomes our natural way of being in the world, actually. Um, mm. and, and when two people have decided that, you know, this relationship isn't about you proving you're interesting, that's already mm. decided. We, we are in this relationship because we are interested in each other. And now our job is to become a student of each other, to pay attention and to sort of revel in all the ways that, that you're already interesting, that's when really exciting things happen in a relationship. So um, totally. there is that. Yeah, so what are you doing to implant that into your children, to teach <laughs> the worthiness and the belonging and the purpose? Mm-hmm. Tell, just give me, you talked about rhythms. We're all about that, rituals. So what's yeah. your rhythm to um, teach that or to have that fruit come out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll start with what I don't do well, um, actually. <laughs> right, we all know that. <laughs> and, and I think it's important to do that because yes. I think when we start to talk about this, parents can feel a lot of pressure, you know, like, oh, yeah. no, what am mm-hmm. I messing up? How are my kids going to feel ashamed because I'm making mistakes? And, uh, and so, so one place that I, I start is that um, I, you know, when you see young children, uh, they, they take their worthiness as self-evident. Um, they don't have to learn that they're worthy. They just sort of assume that they are. It's why they talk all the time. They're constantly asking questions. They don't think that they should have to keep your attention. They just assume that they will, you know. Um, and so part of our job as parents isn't to necessarily instill in them a sense of worthiness, but it's to keep it alive. Um, mm-hmm. And so to to maintain that sense of connection to what they already know about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you're, and you're right. Uh, rituals are a great way to do that. Um, that bedtime ritual I have with Caitlin every night where I I just want to keep that sense of beauty alive in her because the world will start to try to take it away. Yep. Um, you know, and, uh, and you know, uh, a big part of it for me is harnessing my own attention. We're distractible people. Mm. Got a million 
Mm-hmm. With a million things going on. Um, just yesterday afternoon, my sweet daughter had come home from school and she was at the table and she was wanting to tell me about a, um, a craft that she had done at school. And I, right before they'd gotten home, I had started to look, uh, look at a news item. And I found myself with my phone in my hand, right, and my daughter talking to me. And, uh, and that's, that's the moment where they start to learn something new about themselves that had never occurred to them. Right, which is that somehow I'm not inherent, inherently interesting. There's something inside that phone that is more interesting than I am. Um, and so I, at that moment, I had to realize that. I had to put it down. I had to apologize and say, you know what, sweetie, that's that's not fair. What I was doing, you're way more interesting than what's on this phone. Let's mm-hmm. talk. Um, but it's so important so, that you said yeah. that out loud too. And and to the parents out there, I was just reading an article recently from a psychologist, and they were talking about how kids and their feeling of worthiness, self-worth, importance was being changed if you had your phone in your hand when you were talking to them. That when they were competing for that device in your hand that your eyes kept glancing to, innately they learned that's more interesting than I am. Therefore, it's more important than I am. And so I'm just telling parents, not heaping shame or guilt, I'm not throwing shade at parents out there, I'm just saying, just pay, pay attention when your kids are right. talking, put it in your pocket. In fact, tell them, say, I'm going to put this away because I want to listen to you. If that sounds maybe a little cheesy, a little elementary, it's important. Their little brains need to hear those types of reinforcements. I'm going to put this phone away because I really want to pay attention to you. That's a big well, deal to your kids. That's exactly right. And, and an additional encouragement I give to parents is, um, you know, a kid can learn that they are interesting inherently but also that they are not the center of the world. So in other words, um, it's okay to say, I'm paying attention to you now because you're interesting, but daddy's also gonna take some time to do his own things. Mm. During those times, I'm gonna focus on those. Um, it's the it's when those two m- m- you know, moments sort of mingle and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're focused on all of your stuff when in theory you're supposed to be giving attention to them. You wanna keep those separate, keep the boundaries on those separate and make sure that the kids understand that. Yeah, I, I thank you for your honesty because I think mm-hmm. all of us as parents have had those moments. Um, oh, yeah. It's important, too, when you do tell a kid, hey, you are important and you're worthy and you're valuable and I love listening to you. And there are times right. where I don't want to talk about the bug in the window for 45 minutes. <laughs> I have to do something besides this. And there's appropriate and inappropriate times. Again, this is that it's a funny balance in a culture today of telling your kids how important and lovely and all those things they are. And at times we don't need to listen to it all the time. That's a, it's a weird right. tightrope, but you're walking it too. But what I keep well, I mean, thinking, yeah. it's more about our actions than necessarily our words. Cause sometimes I know <laughs> I'll say things, but my actions don't line up uh, with what I'm oh, committed yeah. to. So yeah. I think for us at here, rebel parenting, let's just, let's just take a look and pay attention and, and go for what you're suggesting to, to take that stand for our children. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's a, it's a great point that you can, if you say one thing and do another, they're watching what you're doing. Oh, for sure. That's mm. what they're, that's what they're picking up on. Um, and, yeah. You know I mean? Yeah, go ahead. Well, Kelly, I was going to say you're modeling that behavior. Are there things that you do with your wife so that your children see it? Are there things specifically that mm. you try to do or say, or, or how you treat her? Uh, specifically so that they can see that you feel that way about her as well? Yeah, it's, it's a great question because everything that I, I think I do towards my wife, they're picking up on. If I uh, treat her flippantly or um, dismissively or even you know angrily, 
you know, kids, they're, they, they're not into double standards. They don't think, well, dad gets to do that, but I don't, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, and they, they love to call the, you out on that too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So if they see that, they think that's the way I get to treat mom too. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I certainly think that one of the ways that I demonstrate to them that people in general can be inherently interesting is by, by showing an inherent interest in my wife. Mm-hmm. And again, do I do that perfectly all the time? No. <laughs> um, but, uh, but they are watching that for sure. Yeah, definitely. Kelly, we were just talking about worthiness and, and the importance of creating that in your kids. In the book, you also talk about belonging and purpose, but you talk about it specifically in that order. Why is the progression from worthiness to belonging and then purpose, why is it important to be in that order? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny when, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I've been blogging for several years by the time I started working on this book. And, uh, but at the time that I, I started working on it, I'd gotten connected with a, a great agent who's very seasoned. And I, I credit her with sort of helping me understand how do you write a book, you know, mm. rather than just a bunch of blog posts. And one day we were on the phone and she said uh, she'd sort of been knocking. Like just, I'd send her proposal after proposal and she would just knock it, you know, nope, yeah. nope, nope, nope. <laughs> and uh, finally one day she said to me on the phone, she said, you know, you keep sending me these three things, worthiness, purpose, and belonging. And, uh, and I don't understand why. And I said, oh, no, not worthiness, purpose, and belonging. Worthiness, then belonging, and then purpose. And she said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, that's, that's, that's the way that we progress through uh, personal growth and spiritual healing. It has to go in that order. And she said, well, that's, that's something that I have not heard, and it's important, and people really need to hear that. And, and it's, it's true that as a, as a therapist, it, it guides all of the work that I do. Mm. Um, and that the idea is that we are essentially – uh, here to experience three things in life, worthiness, belonging, and purpose, but we get them out of order. Mm. Uh, we, we sort of skip over the worthiness piece or, or more likely uh, the, worthy, the sense of worthiness is sort of taken away by a sense of shame. And then we go out into the world and we try to, we try to make our places of belonging and our relationships make us feel worthy. Mm-hmm. Or we try to do, to do something and have a, a calling or a purpose that makes us feel worthy. Mm. Um, and it really does great damage to those other two experiences. Um, right. So what, one of the things I talk about in the book is that, um, that belonging and purpose, our relationships and, and the things we do in the world, are meant to flow from a sense of worthiness rather than sort of be an effort to, to prove we're worthy or to get, get a sense of yeah. worthiness. Yeah, exactly. When you're working with your kids uh, or you're talking to parents about working with kids, how do you talk about that progression? How do you go from worthiness into belonging and purpose? Yeah. So, you know, as we begin to, to lose our sense of worthiness as we grow up, as we begin, and I, and I describe this as an experience of shame. It's the belief that we aren't worthy, that we're not good enough. Mm. What, we, what we begin to do is we begin to hide our true self away, that, that self that was created for us and that we came into the world with. Um, and we start to build another fa- another self, a false self. Um, and that's the self that we sort of lead with in the world. We think it, you know, we, we craft it so it's hopefully more acceptable and more presentable to the world. Um, and the problem with this is that if in our relationships, it's our false self going out and meeting people in the world, um, yeah. then we're, we're not really connecting. Our true yeah. self is... Yeah. And if you know that, then no matter what you're receiving, whatever love, accolades, accomplishments. It's not true because it's your false self. It's exactly right. Even even if you're well loved, you know secretly, Mm -hmm. yeah, but, right? Yeah, but. Yeah, but. That's 
Right. Yeah. Well, they love me this way, but if they knew who I really am, would they still love me? So, right. and one one of the if things God that we I serve a loving God, <laughs> who loves right, us. right. Mm. Well, and that's one of the messages of the book is that uh, gratefully, um, the only um, uh, presence in the world that is inside of our false self, aside from us, is God, mm. and uh, and that it's God's presence inside of us, seeing us fully and still speaking to us of our belovedness that we can trust most um, that's fascinating what, in it's our not just, he sees literally yeah. every single thing about us I mean before we were born he knit us together in our mother's womb and yet still right. sent his son to die for us the ultimate action of love the ultimate act dying on the cross for us knowing us better than we know ourselves knowing every single thing we've done and we're tr- man we've got to pass that on to our kids mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, in, in that in that act, essentially saying you are this beloved. Um, mm. I know I know everything about you, and I love you this much. Um, and and so yeah, it, you know, one of the premises of of lovable is that it's more important to know you're lovable than to be well loved. Because if you if you don't know you're lovable but you're well loved, you won't buy it. You won't receive it. You'll That's right. So how ways. would you get someone who who thinks okay a a, a daughter what doesn't think she's lovable? Yeah. What are you going to be the homework that you'll give me as a mom to go back and hopefully reground this child in her worthiness? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And my wife, who's a child psychologist, would tell me, Bob, this is this is the place where you have no right, no, no <laughs> oh. expertise to speak because the first thing that comes to my mind is my wife uh, is trained in developmental psychopathology, so she understands that at different ages, there's different developmentally mm. appropriate ways to, to engage our kids. Uh, yeah. um, but generally, um, the idea is that at some point, as we begin to doubt our worthiness, we yeah. start to go look for relationships that will make us feel worthy and lovable. Mm. Um, and one of, the first, one of the first things and most consistent things I want to tell my kids is you're not going to find a sense of peace within you. You're not going to find a sense of confidence or a sense of worthiness in any relationship uh, with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, my oldest is in middle school, so he's mm. getting into that age where he's starting yeah. to think about dating. And there's always, always that sense that, well, if this one works out, then I'll feel okay about myself. Yeah. And uh, and so I want to redirect my kids um, back to, again, that, that in, interior place um, where they be, can begin to listen for that voice that is already calling them lovable. And, and listen to it so they can begin to hear it so consistently that they actually start to trust it and believe in it. Mm-hmm. And then how as a parent can you build that uh, with you and you know your kids? That's, I've got a five-year-old and yeah. I'll give you a, a, just a real world example if you can speak into this. We have tons of friends that adopt. I'm adopted, we talk about this all the time. What about a kid mm. that's adopted, struggles with abandonment, struggles with rejection, may have had some experiences in the foster world beforehand mm. And as a parent, you're saying you are worthy, you are lovable. And yet at, at an earlier age, it's kind of hard to say, but the first place you need to get that is Jesus. I mean, they're going to look to you as a parent for that. So how do you build that up as a parent? Yeah. Well, you know, um, one of the things that is, is true of the letters that I write to my kids is um, when I'm writing them, I'm I'm trying to... I'm trying to listen to God speak to me about my worthiness, and then I'm trying to pass those words on to my kids. Um, And so one of the things that I tell parents is the best thing you can do to help cultivate worthiness in your own children Mm -hmm. is to be able to cultivate it in yourself first. Um, 
yeah. if you're op- if you're operating from a place of shame where you know you equate your mistakes with your sense of worth and yeah. so on and so forth yeah, yeah. you know, we'll do, we just end up passing that along to our kids in all sorts of subtle ways we're not even really aware of you know yeah. and um, and so I think um, my first advice to parents is to to deepen your sense of connection um, mm-hmm. with your worthiness um, deepen your ability to listen to that voice of grace within you that is constantly reassuring you that you're okay. Um, and as you begin to hear that voice more and more clearly, you will be able to pass that voice along to your children at a time when all of this seems a little bit complicated and heady for them, but you can, you can more consistently be that voice for them. So I just encourage parents, the best thing you can do as a parent is to, to begin to embrace that you are lovable and then you'll be able to share that with your kids. I love that. We, in fact, we give that advice a lot about different areas. If you want your kids to have a good marriage, start investing in your marriage. Exactly. Have a marriage they aspire to have. I mean, I got, a, I got a rough time. My parents this summer have been married 57 years. I mean, that's a big deal. Woo-hoo. They love hanging out with each other. Wow. That's a great role model in marriage. And being healthy emotionally, being healthy psychologically, being healthy spiritually is really, really good for your kids. If you need to get with a counselor, mm-hmm. if you need to get with a mentor and work on those things, you can even tell your kids, I'm working on these things. Or if you've got a teenage daughter that's struggling with those issues, you can go, hey, me too. I've been talking to so-and-so and I'm working on those issues too. And just like I'm worthy, you're worthy too. That's a really, it's great advice, Kelly. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I just... Um... I guess it was, I was probably the, about a month ago. It was right after the release of Lovable. Um, I, uh, I took my oldest out, out for lunch in the middle of a school day because that, they love to eat with you in the middle of a school day, even mm-hmm. if they don't other times. <laughs> you know, you sort of trick them into it. Um, and, but I took them out because I, I wanted to, to say to them, hey, I know I published this book and everybody's coming to you and telling you, oh, mm-hmm. your dad, you know, what a great dad. You must feel so lucky. And I know a lot of times, I don't know anything That's about that, Kelly. I've never experienced <laughs> anything like that in my life. Yeah, right. And and uh, I just wanted him to know, like, I, I know that r- real life with me is is not like that. Um, I have, I've never been a dad before, um, and I care about you so much that sometimes the you know the words that I I know and the freedom I know I need to give you, I, I sort of get anxious and I get controlling and I get angry. And uh, so I need you to sort of help me um, learn how to be a parent in the same way that I'm learning, helping you learn how to grow up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so um, to me, to me, it's actually my ability to listen to that voice of grace within me that says, Kelly, you don't need to have it all together to be, to be worthy and to be a lovable father. Um, It's that voice of grace that allows me to have that conversation with him and to admit that I have shortcomings and I don't Mm -hmm. know what I'm doing. Um, And so, so hopefully that's a way that that day I modeled it for him a little bit. Um, and uh, and then the rest is a lot of it's up to him. A lot of it I can't control. <laughs> sure, sure. Professionally, when you're seeing clients and things like that, what do you see as the number one theme coming to you and families? Good question. Um, well, I, boy, there's a couple of layers to that. You know, one thing I, I always say, and I, the, one of the reasons I wrote this book is that people don't, I, I've don't think I've ever had someone come to me and say, you know, I really feel unworthy and I need to figure out how to fix that. Um, mm. That people come to me and say, you know, my relationships aren't working. My mm-hmm. marriage is, I'm, I'm struggling in my marriage. We've been stuck for years. Mm. Um, and then also I, the other thing I hear a lot is I just don't know what to do with my life. I don't know mm. what I'm here for. I don't, I want to have a sense of purpose, but I, I don't feel it. Um, 
And one of the thing that, things I see particularly for couples is um, couples have done two things to their marriages. Um, this place that is supposed to be a place of belonging where you reveal yourself, mm-hmm. uh, your true self, yeah. and uh, the other person gets to enjoy um, who you are and your yeah. worthiness. Um, instead, uh, we make the marriage uh, rather than just our place of belonging, we try to turn it into the place where we get our worthiness as well as the place where we get a sense of purpose. And um, belonging, all of us. Yeah, all, all. all the whole deal. And, yeah. and what, a, what a weight for a marriage to carry. Yeah, it wasn't um, meant for that. No, no. And then and the tension that that creates and the conflict that that creates. And now you have kids growing up in homes where um, mom and dad's narrative and their story is really about trying to get something from the other person that they can't possibly get. Um, and the kids in the, in the meantime are losing out on all of the energy and opportunity that parents would have to be speaking into their lives, uh, trying to get what they, they are trying to get from their relationships, but never will. So one of the things I do with folks is I just try to clarify, you know, the purpose of your life is not to have a marriage that works. Um, it's bigger than that, first of all. Um, and, and you will never get the sense of worthiness that you, you, you lost in your early years. You will never get that from your marriage. That's, hmm. that's your own responsibility. Um, and once we can begin to separate those things out in those different tasks and start to order them correctly, then you'll discover, um, once you've embraced your worthiness and started to reveal it in your marriage, that things get a lot simpler and a lot easier. Yeah, um, and so that's, that's sort of how I approach it. The healthier you. you get, the healthier your relationships become. Absolutely. Um, For sure. Absolutely. Kelly, I don't know if there's another endeavor that induces more guilt or more shame than parenting. You know, I say this all the time, like a broken record, but you don't know what kind of a job you're doing until it's already too late. And so you just keep feeling guilty and shame. As Uh, a psychologist, you know, overcoming shame is so important, but how do we do that so that we're not just, you know, flooding all of our relationships with the shame we feel internally? Right, yeah. It's It's remarkable what you've just said because it is so true. And yet, two generations ago, a parent never would have said that. Totally. Never would have said, I feel this tremendous sense of responsibility to do right by my kids and make sure that they grow up with a sense of confidence and worthiness. We didn't think. (laughs) I know. Well, I think. I think what happened. um, I don't know. But I think what happened is that um, as parents, I think we are sort of on the leading edge of – of being in a culture that has said it's okay to em- embrace your wounds, um, to say that, wow, my wounds are connected to some of the things that happened earlier in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so having more of a sense of the ways that we are impacted by our own parents and elders and authority figures um, has sort of created a bit of a panic in us. Like, oh no, mm-hmm. <laughs> my parents really did hurt me. And that means I can really hurt my children. Um, and and that has created a, a tremendous burden in a sense that I don't want to pass this sense of shame onto my children. Mm-hmm. And there's good there's good things and there's bad things in that. It's good yeah. to have that awareness that we're capable of that. Um, but it can become its own layer of shame, yeah. right? Like I'm not a good enough parent. I'm not a good enough parent. Right. Um, and I think we start start to co- co- you know compensate for that in all sorts of ways with sure. uh, you know if I'm I Get them in the like best I'm school. Loving. Do all these things. Yeah. Right. If I keep doing if more I keep and more. Doing, and more. Yeah. Yep. If I do their that, homework, if I yeah. get another tutor, if I get them another sports program, get them in a. I'll make their friends activity. for them. That's right. <laughs> That's yeah, right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And I think I think you keyed in on it perfectly. There. It's um, I don't know how to be with them. 
Um, so I'm going to do more for them, give them more and so on. And that's where I go back to that idea, again, of cultivating a sense of, of worthiness that allows us to simply be with them um, in a way that is, is loving and caring and attentive and, and gentle. Um, that's well, the Can I interrupt you real do. quick? You talked mm-hmm. about being ordinary and then that's yeah. okay. It just feels like it ties into right what you're talking about. Could you mm-hmm. dive into that for us? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so um, one of the things that almost always arises out of a sense of shame is that if I'm not good enough, then maybe I can do something that is more than enough and that will prove or make me somehow good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so you, you see this this tremendous sort of compulsion in the culture to do things that are extraordinary with our lives. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we dress them, we dress them up and, uh, you know, they, they end up looking a little more altruistic, but there's always that, that sense that if I do this, then I'll, I'll be good enough. And, uh, and so what you start to discover is you begin to undo that shame and, and release it and let it go. Um, is that there is, uh, there's beauty in being who you are, simply being who you are mm-hmm. and living an ordinary life. You don't feel compelled anymore to have to do something magnificent. And, and so again, yeah, as, as parents, as we begin to overcome that sense of shame, then all of that compulsion to have an extraordinary life, we don't have to push that on our kids anymore. We can say, who, so who are you? And what would that look like in the world if you just got to be you? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if God is so good that he created you just to be you, put passions inside of you that maybe you know, we might think of as totally ordinary, but you got to live your days enjoying those. What what would that look like? Oh, freedom. Um, that, that takes the pre- yeah, freedom exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you know, I was talking to a friend about it, and the shame I experienced from my early parenting is I'm trying to overcome that. But my statement with Lincoln right now, I'm trying to stop looking for myself in Lincoln, and I'm mm. just trying to see who he is. Oh. You know, I'm a skateboarder. I really, really wanted him to skateboard, and he doesn't. And I just have to be okay with it. I just want to know who he is. I don't need to have him validate who I wish I was or wish, Mm. you know, wished I could have been. I just want to know who he is. Right. And that's, I love that. Good job, Um, honey. (laughs) Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. If you're listening, just that, do that. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and the opposite side of that, is uh is and you hear a lot of young people saying this saying i have no parent parents don't have any right to sort of try to articulate who their kids are and i think that comes out of a sense of they'll always get it wrong but Mm -hmm. if a parent is doing the work that you're doing to try to remove your own wants and needs and to try to be an accurate mirror of our kids i think our kids really need that they they need a parent who says wow you uh you know you really have a natural capacity for leadership. That's that's really interesting. I think that's really cool about you. You know, um, rather than and not worrying it if you're afraid of leading people. You know, that's sometimes we exactly. project our own fears on our kids. Like you're a great public speaker. I could never do that, but you're good at that. Instead of saying, "Oh, exactly. I would be so afraid," and yeah. what if something bad? Ha-? You know, you've got all these fears you can imagine happening if you're on a stage. You can't project those yes. on your kids. Yeah, my oldest is that's you just described him to a T. Like. When I do public speaking, even interviews like this, I sort of have to get up for them. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. it doesn't come super naturally to me, but he thrives being up on a stage. It's Mm -hmm. just who he is. It's, you know, and so to watch that and to just affirm that, like, it's so much fun to watch your joy up on stage. Mm -hmm. I admire, I admire you for that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's exactly it. 
Kelly, can I ask you something more about the ordinariness? Maybe this is out of left field, yeah. but Laura and I, we, we're not counselors. We don't have PhDs, but we coach couples every now and then, and we hook them up with good counselors. But I've been seeing something where I think when I dig down, it's when I, I find out people watch a lot of reality TV, a lot of Real Housewives of whatever, and mm-hmm. they view their marriage in this light where it's like, we have a boring marriage because we don't yell and <laughs> scream. We don't have this passion and we don't fight and then have these makeups and you have to bring flowers and our friends get involved and, and they start <laughs> creating drama in their lives because they feel their life is ordinary instead of going, wow, what a blessing mm-hmm. to have this life. Mm-hmm. Is that, That's, I, am, yeah. I out, am I out in left field on that one or, is, or are you seeing things like that? No, I think what you're getting, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that observation. It's not something that I've, I've thought a lot about, but I, I do think that um, we, are, we are certainly in a culture uh, where um, it, is, it is hard to be satisfied with something that is calm and peaceful. Yeah, um, and, right. yeah you uh, think you something's might, wrong. <laughs> exactly. Well, our brain, our brains just get wired to look for the next, uh, you know, um, mm. the, uh, what's the word, the next exciting thing, the yeah. next, um, mm. you know, bigger the next life thing, thing to tackle or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and so it does sort of work into us this idea that, um, something dramatic has to be happening. I think it is even more than just a belief. I think it's, you know, when, when, when you see dramatic things happening, you actually have a neurochemical response. Um, mm. we, we know that, uh, you know, when we get validation, for instance, through digital technology, uh, we have a endogenous opioid system that, that causes the release of, um, of the things that almost feel like a high within us. And, and so as you get more and more attuned to having that kind of experience that is thrilling and, uh, and almost euphoric, then to live in the normal, um, what I would call sacred, but ordinary rhythm of daily life starts to feel boring. Um, when in fact, for most, when most of human history, what we've craved is boring. We've craved safety mm. and steadiness and simplicity, and um, and it's just not as interesting as everything else that's going on in our culture right now. Hmm. Yeah, I was listening to Louis C.K.'s comedian talking about his kids, and he was saying, you know, Doritos Cool Ranch doesn't exist in nature. That doesn't. <laughs> It's not existing anywhere. And when you feed your kids that, then you give them an apple. They're like, an apple? This is boring. You know, I don't, that's, you know, I don't want that. Give me that poison. Right. Yeah, I'm give me that, kidding. you know, because it's, it was created in a lab to right. uh, stimulate certain areas of your brain to, want, to make you want more of that. That's what that food is created for. And what you're saying in a way with likes on, you know, Facebook or Instagram, things like that. I'm thinking, here's, here's where I'm going. Yes. I do videos, we have podcasts, and Laura and I have conversations about audience size. Mm. And our son overhears that. You know, I'll have, yeah. you know, 5,000 people watch that video yesterday or 20,000 people saw that, you know, photo. And he's making Lego creations. And in the <laughs> Lego app, you can show your creations. And mm-hmm. he'll go, oh, daddy, 15 people liked my creation. Right. And I'm now trying to balance... You know, when Laura and I talk about audience size, we're trying to help people in their marriage and their parenting journey. And so when I look at an audience, it's how many people can we help? It's not how many people like me. 
it's a different right. thing and I'm trying to show, it's hard to explain those yeah. things to a 10 year old and yet it's really important yes. so that they don't get hooked on that drug of dopamine based on likes. Yes, that's, mm -hmm. that's right on and it is so hard right now, isn't it? Because mm -hmm. everything is wired to catch your attention and everything is measured in terms of its success in catching your attention by how many people have viewed it. And our kids are growing up in that culture. And so, you know, for instance, a conversation that I might have around that is, boy, that's really cool. I mean, it is. It's mm -hmm. you know, he's never he's never going to lose that sense that it's cool that 15 people saw and liked his his creation. Mm -hmm. um, but what what was it about building it that you enjoyed? Um, because that that thing in you that enjoyed building it, that's eternal. It's going to be consistent and it won't go away. But the likes are going to come and go. Now I know at a young age you can't really have yeah, those yeah. kinds of conversations, but you can point them back to the experience of building um, and try to, to to sort of redirect their attention to that. Love it. Um, because that's something that is timeless. Yeah, yeah and be, I, and so many parents are tying their worthiness into their likes as well. It's like. Uh, that uh, yeah. song selfie where there's a girl talking and she said you know that photo i posted 10 minutes yeah. ago only has five likes i wonder if i should take it down yeah. you know her worthiness yeah. is built up into not enough people like that photo maybe i'm not that worthy what do you think of the photo did you like the process of taking it was it right. something that you know I, I have a friend who is an author and, and she said something that has stuck with me through this entire process of publishing my first book and she said uh kelly at writing is good for my soul almost mm -hmm. always. Publishing is almost always not. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. you know, and what good she was getting at is is tapping into what what led you to create the thing that people are now looking at. And uh, um, I had a, an experience the week my book published, right? Spending a lot of time on sort of obviously getting it in front of people, and uh, and that. But then I had a few hours to write, um, and I did. And I, I was reminded that this is why I'm doing it mm -hmm. um, because this process of creation is sort of built into me. Um, the process of getting attention um, is, is, is really not built into me. That's something I'm creating for myself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Kelly, what an amazing interview. This is so great. We've been talking oh, to Kelly you. Flanagan about his book, Lovable. What a great resource for parents and spouses, really. Yeah. How to love your spouse better, create a great role model for your kids. We really appreciate you being on the broadcast. Oh, thanks so much. You guys are a great team. It was fun to talk with you. Rebels, I hope you enjoyed that broadcast as much as I did. I really like Dr. Kelly Flanagan, and I really enjoyed his book, Lovable, and this broadcast. I hope you did as well. If you did, share it with a friend. Grab their phone. Subscribe to the podcast. That's how you get the word out, and we appreciate it. I see the numbers going up on iTunes every single week, and it's all because you're sharing the podcast with your friends. We appreciate that about you. Also, don't forget Facebook Live, Rebel Live on Facebook every Monday and Friday, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern, facebook.com slash Dobson. Last but not least, I want to offer you those giveaways again. We've got 20 takeaways from 40 years of marriage. This is from our guests, Tim and Ann Evans. This is brilliant stuff. We got so many responses and so many emails, so many texts about this that I'm going to offer it again. 20 takeaways from 40 years of marriage and why you and your spouse need to schedule sex and how to have it more often. I promise you're not going to regret those. Go to timplusan.com. That's T-I-M-P-L-U-S-A-N-N-E.com. Sign up for their newsletter. It has got so much good stuff in there. These are Laura and I's personal mentors and marriage counselors. You will not regret it. They'll give you those two giveaways and uh, so much good stuff. We love you all and we'll see you next week. God bless. God bless.